to the Arise podcast. I'm Tanya Anderson, CEO at Arise. It's my pleasure to have with me Rebecca Alder, who is the manager of our ombudsman program here at Arise. Welcome. Hi, Tanya. So we did a podcast a while ago talking about this really crucial program that assists people who live in nursing homes and other long-term care facilities. Can you give us a thumbnail about what the ombudsman program is about? Yes, absolutely. So the Ombudsman Program provides advocacy and support for people living in residential long-term care facilities, um, both elderly and people with disabilities. We provide um, a voice for residents that may not have one or may feel intimidated to speak up for themselves, maybe family or excuse me, residents that don't have family. Um, approximately 80% of residents in long-term care facilities do not receive any type of visitation from family or friends. Right. So really there is a need for independent advocates. Right. And I, this program, I can't even express how crucial I feel it is because as you said, these are folks that are living in a facility. They don't necessarily have a, a natural support in terms of family or friends. They're, they're in this situation where they're afraid if they speak up, there might be retaliation or just people not prioritizing their complaints. And you really su- provide that support and empower them to know that their voices matter. Absolutely. Um, First and foremost, what we try to do is actually educate the residents on how to best advocate for themselves so that if we're not available, they know it at any time they have that confidence uh, that they could actually go and speak with someone to get their grievance uh, resolved as opposed to waiting to call an ombudsman. And that is uh, such a crucial skill, not just in your program, but across everything that Arise does because as an independent living center, we're founded on the notion that People will speak up for themselves. They become the best self-advocate. They know their own needs and and desires and dreams, and we give them those services and support so they can express that. So you are doing that at a a different stage in someone's life, but Mm -hmm. it's totally consistent with what we do. Yes, our program, the, it's it's all about the residents. It's resident-centered. It's all about m- making their own decisions. And, uh, you know, maybe someone might not make the best decision, but that's their decision to make. So we absolutely um, respect that, and um, we advocate for residents to be able to do that, make absolutely. choices that maybe the facility does not agree with, but it's it's what they want to do, and therefore they have that right. Right. It's their life. It's yes. their choice. It's their right. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And I know that um, you are very skilled and you work for us a lot of hours, but you really rely on volunteers for this program. Yes, we do. So I'm fortunate in that I have some amazing staff, but really the heart and soul of our program is our volunteers. And right now you've got how many volunteers? Right now we only have eight. (laughs) So we definitely could use a few more. Um, Before the pandemic, I believe at one point we had up to 25. So certainly the pandemic... um, uh, really uh, did a number on, a vo- on our volunteer base. Absolutely. And how big is our region that we cover? Uh, we have 7,000 residents in four counties. Which is a lot for eight people and, and a handful of staff to cover. Correct. Our goal is to visit every skilled nursing facility once a week, and we have 25 in our region. So ideally, we would have 25 staff and volunteers. Um, we do make that happen, but it's, um, it's a lot of work on the program staff to visit multiple facilities in a week. Sure thing, because a lot of the work is 
really building the relationships with the people that are in those facilities and it's hard to do that when you're pressed for time. Absolutely. You certainly never want a resident, uh, make a resident feel like uh, you're rushed and that you don't have time to listen to their concerns. Right. And I have a very dear friend that's in a nursing home right now and I, I get the sense when I go there that time really slows down. Yes. Yeah. It certainly does. Residents, yeah. um, they feel sometimes they don't have a lot of things to look forward to. Their lives revolve around their meals and activities. So right. it's really important that facilities put on both quality meals and quality activities. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about you know quality of life in those facilities because we're doing this podcast in the month of October and I am learning that this is Residents' Rights Month. What does that mean? Yes. So October is Resident Rights Month. So what that means is that uh, there is a promotion uh, campaign on what rights a resident has in a facility. Um, people actually have more rights in a residential facility than you or I do walking down the street. So wow. it's important for our staff and our volunteers to not only educate the residents on their rights, but another thing we do is we do new employee orientations so we actually get in on that first visit or that first time a person works for a facility and we actually speak with them about resident rights and just kind of remind them this is the resident's home you know you're here working in their home right. and I think that's been very helpful we've been doing that for about a year now and we do this consistently with four facilities where we go in every single week and speak with the new employees and I think that's been very helpful. I can see where that would be extremely powerful that people on their first day in a facility get the message that, like you said, you're working for the residents and they have rights and, and it's important that you recognize that both parties recognize and have a level set. So let's talk about some of those rights. So first and foremost, uh, the most important right is that some, everyone has the right to be fully informed about their care. Um, so therefore, a resident you know, can make decisions that are appropriate for them. Uh, informed consent, essentially. So right. if a resident you know, chooses not to pursue dialysis, you know, as long as they're aware of the risk with that, they can make that decision not to pursue that treatment. So essentially, every resident has the right to be fully informed and participate in their own care planning. Which makes total sense. Absolutely, you, you would think, but unfortunately sometimes we find where residents have not been invited to their own care plan meeting in several years. So and is that um, in the case, someone might not have capacity to make a decision, although mm -hmm. they still should be in the meetings. Absolutely. And someone may not have capacity to make high-level decisions, but they certainly may, may be able to indicate what they want for breakfast or what they want to watch on television. So that's why it's so important for facilities to not take someone not having capacity as like a blanket, uh, I'm not quite sure how to put this, uh, as a reason to only go to the power of attorney healthcare proxy because there are things, decisions that the resident may, can make at any cognitive level. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're all different levels of decision making that we all do every day. And so that makes total yes. sense. What's another right? Uh, let's see, to voice their concerns. Uh, residents have the right to voice their concerns without fear of retaliation. Every facility should have a formal grievance policy. Uh, it is a regulation by Department of Health, so that is one of the things that the Ombudsman Program does is make sure that residents are aware of their facility's grievance policy, who they speak with, how long that takes, etc. Absolutely, and that's part of what the work that you're doing through this program really is important 
ensuring people that they voice their opinions and they don't fear retaliation. Yes, yep, absolutely. Right. Another right is uh, residents' right to privacy and confidentiality. That's right. huge. Um, it's very important to me when I'm in facilities, uh, when I observe staff not knocking on doors or addressing residents with how they want to be addressed. It's, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Um, residents should have the right to privacy, uh, not have staff just barge in their rooms, um, have the confidentiality when their care is being discussed, that it's not being discussed in front of others. Right. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a pretty important right. Another is to just make their own choices. Again, anything from uh, lower level choices to you know what they want for breakfast, all the way up to you know do they want to be a uh, a DNR, do not resuscitate. So providing that resident has capacity to make all of those choices, those decisions on their own. And then last and not least is dignity and respect. Every resident has a right to dignity, respect, um, to be treated um, appropriately, um, be treated like a person, not as just another number taking up a bed in a nursing home. Right. And all of these rights, they sound like complete common sense to you and me. Yes. And I bet when you are giving those orientations to new staff, the staff are saying, well, of course this makes sense. I'm here because I want to help people. I'm a caring person. I'm a caregiver. Mm -hmm. And of course I'm going to adhere to all of these rights. But I bet when you get into the grind of the job day to day, when people are working long hours, perhaps multiple shifts, um, difficult circumstances, because it's, it's very hard work. Mm -hmm. How do these rights maybe um, become less front of mind for staff? Well, it's very easy to happen when when a facility is short-staffed. You right. know, I hear all the time, one aide to 40 residents, um, where residents may not be given a choice that day. You know, would, would you like to get up and sit in your chair or sit in your wheelchair? Nope, the choice is, is you don't have a choice and you're in bed for the whole day. And because possibly just, not dressed. Right, correct, yes. It's not uncommon to get phone calls on Monday mornings where residents were put it, kept in bed all weekend. They never even got up once. So, wow. unfortunately, with the staff, staffing situation, we have seen uh, many rights uh, kind of being trampled on, and that's unacceptable. Something simple you wouldn't even think would be a concern, but we see a lot, is facilities opening residents' mail and their packages, which is completely unacceptable. Right. But their rationale is, we're busy, we're short-staffed, we just got to get it done. Right. But that's never the answer. That's never okay. And that makes total sense to me as well. But what do we do when we have these crises in staffing? Well, that's that. That's that's the challenge. Uh, we can't fix staffing. That, that's the one thing we cannot fix. Um, it's 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 difficult. Um, I have started successfully at one facility a family council. That a family council is a is a is a tool for change. Essentially, it's families coming together once a month to talk about how they want to see uh, improvements in the facility, but working with management to make it happen. So not necessarily a... not adversarial. Exactly. Right. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Not an adversarial relationship. One more, they work together with facility staff for the goals of the residents. Um, so things like that, I'm tr- we're trying to think outside the box. You know, right. we, we can't make staffing better, but we can certainly um, put other things into place that may help improve that quality of care, one of them being a family council. 
That makes sense that you would introduce the people who can collaborate because you have the same end goal in terms of the quality of care. And yes. I can imagine that for a lot of families, the, the rights that you just described wouldn't even be front of mind for them. Right, yes. It's, it's a big educational thing on our end, um, educating families on, um, on resident rights and when exactly their power of attorney healthcare proxy comes into play because it's not, again, a, a uh, just a... It's not a blanket. It's not Thank one you. size fits yes, all. Yes, it, it really is not. Right. It's very individualized. And sometimes family members will call our program and say, my mother you know, needs help with A, B, or C. And the first thing we do as per the mission of our program is go see the resident and say, right. do you agree with that? Would you like us to help you? You know, you call the shots here. Right. And if they say no, that we have to respect that. And going back and telling the family member, you know, no, we're not going to pursue this because your mother declined and that's her right. Um, sometimes they get a little upset about that, but they, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when we explain to them what the resident rights are and that they can make their, these decisions and really they're the ones that live in the facility. Right. And um, so they should be able to call the shots on their care and, and what, we, what they put in a grievance about, what they have us put in a grievance about. It's really, it's, it's their care in the home. Right, and that goes back to what you're saying about the resident having a, the power to make their choice, and it may not be the choice that we would make or that we would endorse, but it's their choice because it's their life. Yes, absolutely. Right. And I can imagine that for a lot of families, even when their interests are aligned with the resident, that having that, that roll call of rights is powerful because I can see people being intimidated by the system. They've got professionals talking to them, maybe they're doing a med consult, they're rattling off all kinds of names that are not familiar and saying, okay, we're going to change this med and that med, do you sign off? And the person, the family member, the resident, they might feel like, okay, I have to say yes right now, or am I able to ask questions? I mean, it's a tough spot. It really is, and interesting that you brought that up because it's actually very rare that a facility lets uh, family or residents know there's a med change. Really? Really, yes. So they're, they're required to tell the resident, tell the family within so many hours, and many times it just simply does not happen because of staffing. That's definitely a casualty of staffing, um, not having the time to relay that important medical information. And that goes back to number one, which is being in control of <laughs> <Exactly>. your Exactly. <care. laughs> yes, full circle. <laughs> full circle. Wow. So it's, it's so fascinating. Every time we talk about the work that you're doing and, and just the real difference you're making, what drives you to do this work every day? Well, uh, gee, I just feel very passionate about helping advocate for people that do not have a voice. I mean, that really drives me. Um, when I'm tired and I think, oh, gee, it's 3 o'clock, I really just cannot do another facility today. Um, I think about, you know, the person that called in with a complaint and how they've been waiting to see me since right. maybe a few days ago. And so um, that's what drives me, is going in, seeing residents, helping them live their very best quality of life. Um, that, that's, that's the important thing. Well, I'm grateful that you have that drive and that passion. Thank you for what you do every day, Rebecca. Thank you. For more information on how you can support Arise, visit our website at ariseinc.org. Support Arise. Support Independence.